everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani at IE Green on the Progressive Radio Network. I have a great show for all of you today. Going on in a little bit and telling us more about um, the organization he formed. Recording in progress. Work they're doing and all of that. Um, but before he comes on, I want to share with you some things going on in the news, some ways you can take action, and of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. So um, in my newsletter this week, and for all of you, if you don't subscribe to my newsletter, you can sign up at, on my website at ieGreen.com. But every week on Wednesday morning, I have a newsletter that comes out that says who my guest will be, but it also talks about things that I have um, highlighted during the week that I think is really worthy of sharing. And so this week, um, there were a couple articles in the New York Times that I wanted to share with everyone about the connection between diet and mental health. And, um, you know, as someone who has dieted many times, many years in my life, I gave it up many years ago, <laughs> but uh, dieting is just, you know, an endless uh, circle and never really seems to get you where you want to be. And it just makes food Instead of a pleasurable, wonderful thing, it makes it something that you're always worrying about and thinking about and thinking of it as bad or good. It's just an endless cycle that really doesn't go in the right direction. And they've been focusing much more on actually mindful eating and ways of thinking about yourself in regards to the food. So instead of thinking of whether a food is good or not, really focus on your own body you know, loving yourself and taking care of yourself and so wanting you to be healthy. And so pay attention to your body, how you feel when you eat something, whether you're really full or not. Um, they actually shared a whole bunch of tips that actually readers shared with them that I shared on the in the newsletter, you know, that you set goals that are unrelated to losing weight, like, you know, exercising or walking or breathing or meditating. Um, ask yourself before you eat something, how will this make me feel? You know, like I know I love French fries. Most of us do. We have a soft place in it, but I do also know whenever I eat French fries, I always feel pretty lousy afterwards. And so um, it's really important to pay attention to how a food makes you feel when you eat it. Um, So there's no guilt when I eat French fries. I know I'm going to eat them. I know I'm going to enjoy it in the moment. And I know I might not feel so great afterwards. And that's a choice I'm making but you want to know how it's going to make you feel. Um, They also suggested using nice china, setting the table, choose a smaller plate so that your plate can look full. Um, It's a psychological thing, but it works. Um, And to really, you know, be mindful when you're eating so that you're not multitasking, you're not on the computer, you're not in front of the TV, so that you're aware of what you're eating, you're aware of your chewing, you put your fork down in between and pay attention to the food that you're eating. They some of the um, some of the readers share that it's a good idea not to go shopping for food while you're hungry because then you're always buying all those wrong things that are calling to you while you're walking down those aisles. Um, add more vegetables to every meal. So if you are someone that doesn't normally eat a lot of vegetables, you want to add those. And then when you have a food craving, really watch it. Don't necessarily give into it, but be aware that this is just a food craving and it will go away and just. Um, don't give into it. But anyway, I just really love that whole idea of connecting the foods we eat to how we feel. Very often people also want to go for comfort foods. And when you think of comfort foods, people are thinking of, you know, 
a bowl of pastina or you know, some ice cream or potato chips. Usually they're foods that are high in fat, sugar, salt, and are not healthy. But the reality is if you sit down to a bowl of miso soup, it's going to make you feel a lot better. So, you know, experiment with what foods really make you feel good, how they make you feel, and um, make better choices. And, you know, and it all comes, stems from loving yourself. So um, dieting is not about loving yourself, but eating mindfully is. So um, check that out. Another thing I shared with you all is a video that was in the New York Times that is really excellent. And it's one of three that are going to be coming out. So there will be two more that I will share with you in the weeks coming. But it really talks about our food and our agricultural system and how much um, that contributes to global warming. And it's a topic that people don't really want to talk about very much because everyone loves their meat and they love the cheap food that we've become accustomed to. But farms and the industrial food system in this country contributes one third of all the greenhouse gases, more than the, um, you know, more than the gas and oil industries. And it's just something that we don't focus on, but it's something that we really need to start focusing on. And Senators Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren have introduced into the Senate the Farm Systems Reform Act, and it's been supported also by U.S. Representative Ro Khanna. And this is a, an act that would put a moratorium on large factory farms, which are also known as CAFOs or concentrated animal feeding operations. They restore mandatory country of origin labeling. Right now, you know, we know if our avocados come from Mexico, but we have no idea where our meat comes from. And also when we buy chopped meat, for instance, you could have a hundred different cows in that chopped meat. So you really don't know where it's coming from. Um, and also we need to make these industrial food systems um, responsible for all of the waste that they produce into the land. Um, it's really just horrendous what they get away with. And so much of it happens because of the political lobbying that they do. I was shocked to hear that the industrial food system spends more on political lobbying than big oil or big pharma combined. Um, last year, I think it was recorded $2.5 billion were spent and it, lay, it lines the pockets on both sides of the aisle, which is also really What's so tricky is that it's not just a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. This money goes into the pockets on both sides of the aisle. And there's Democrats from you know, a lot of those states that have a lot of the um, uh, factory farms. And so that's a big problem. And so we need to do something about the money that's spent on lobbying, you know, create laws that doesn't that, where it's not allowed, um, and that's unlikely to happen. But we have a lot of work to do, and it will take all of us to really educate ourselves that we know what's at stake. Um, the global crisis right now, the climate crisis, is really real, and if we don't all get on board to do something about it and make personal sacrifices, so it means you cannot eat meat at every meal. There's just not enough. Um, we cannot produce enough meat to do that in a sustainable way. Um, you know, I'm not promoting that everyone needs to become vegan, but you need to 
purchase your meat from ranchers and farmers that are raising cattle and animals in a sustainable, humane way that, um, you know, where the animals live. Basically, like last week, I interviewed Kate Mendelhall from <clears throat> Organic Farmers Association. She said her animals, you know, have a great life every single day. Only one day in their life is not good. And that's the one where they get killed. But other than that, they have a great life. And that's really, you know, the best you can hope for if you're going to eat meat. Um, but so really pay attention to where your meat's coming from, who you're buying it from, and it will really make a difference. Um, I want to share with all of you a recipe I made this week. Um, talk about comfort food. This is really comfort food. Um, it's a creamy penne with wild mushrooms and broccoli. And it was really a comfort food. Um, you know, I don't normally, I never was a big proponent of eating um, Alfredo type creamy sauces when I used to eat dairy. But this is a light cream sauce made with cashews. And it's just so delicious. Um, so it's vegan and it's just wonderful and has lots of vegetables and you can use whole wheat pasta, organic pasta, rice pasta, whatever pasta you like will work in this recipe. So you want a, a pound package of pasta, one onion diced, eight cups of wild oyster mushrooms. I have to tell you, I, I went walking last week and we found this huge winter wild mushroom. And that's what we used in this recipe. That's what actually was the inspiration for this recipe. I had so much mushroom. So anyway, you need eight cups of mushrooms. Um, if you can find a wild winter mushroom, great. But if you can't, um, any mushroom will do. Two tablespoons minced garlic, two tablespoons tamari, one bunch of broccoli cut into florets, one cup of fresh or frozen peas, a quarter cup of extra virgin olive oil, a half a cup of white wine, two teaspoons of dried oregano, one teaspoon of dried basil, a half a teaspoon of dried thyme, a half a cup of sun-dried tomatoes that you slice up, a half a cup of pine nuts um, that you lightly toast first, or if you buy the ones from Trader Joe's, they come pre-toasted, which is a wonderful thing, a half a teaspoon of red pepper flakes, a quarter cup of chopped fresh Italian parsley, one and a half teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon pepper, one cup of cashews soaked for two hours or more. And let me just tell you, I, I soaked the cashews, but if you decide you want to make this and you don't have time to soak the cashews, if you pour boiling water over the cashews, that um, hydrates them much quicker. And so you could really just pour boiling water over and let it sit for 15 minutes and still do this and it will work. Um, and then three whole garlic cloves. So you're gonna start by coating the bottom of a cast iron pan with olive oil. Saute the onions for a few minutes, then add the mushrooms and the minced garlic and cook that for about five minutes until the mushrooms start to soften and get cooked. Um, then you're gonna add, um, and you're gonna keep cooking them until that liquid starts to evaporate that the mushrooms um, let out. Um, then remove a couple of the mushrooms to reserve for garnishing the top. Add the wine and the tamari and continue cooking until the liquid evaporates. I'm sorry, I wanna change that. Add the tamari and the white wine first, and then when the liquid evaporates, then take some of the mushrooms out just to garnish the top to make it look beautiful when you serve it. Add the broccoli, the sun-dried tomatoes, the peas, the dried herbs, and the pine nuts. Deglaze the pan with a splash of water and continue cooking until the broccoli's soft. While that's cooking, you're gonna drain the cashews, 
and in a mini food processor, mix the cashews with one cup of water, three cloves of garlic, add salt to taste, two tablespoons of nutritional yeast, and blend that up until smooth, scraping down the sides of the processors to incorporate all of the cashews. Meanwhile, you're also going to be cooking the pasta, and you want to time it so that the pasta comes out right when the sauce is going to be finished. Um, and you can reserve a little bit of the pasta wa water to add to the cream sauce if you want to thin it out at all. So then you're going to add the penne to the pan with the vegetables. If it's not, if the if your pan's not big enough, you can actually put the drained pasta back into the pot and add the sauce into the pot where the pasta was. Um, mix that all up. Add the fresh parsley, the salt and pepper to taste, um, and mix it up. Then when you serve it, you're going to serve it into a large pasta bowl and you're going to garnish the top with some fresh parsley, some of the reserved pine nuts and the mushrooms that you pulled out. And it's just a beautiful dish. It comes together quickly and it's just, um, you know, definitely a comfort food. And serve it with a big salad <clears throat> so that you're not eating too much pasta and enjoy. It's really, really wonderful. And now it's my pleasure to introduce to all of you Sean Fitzpatrick. As I said before, he's the founder and executive director of Real Food Share, which is a 501c3 nonprofit founded on the belief that everyone deserves access to healthy food. Their mission is to transform and uplift our local food system to eliminate hunger. And Sean's desire to serve led him to kick off Real Food Share in 2019 to provide healthy food access to food pantries across Connecticut. Sean has 20 years of experience as a personal trainer and health coach. <clears throat> and after overcoming chronic skin and digestive issues himself through nutrition changes, he was inspired to bring fresh, local, and nu nutrient-dense food to neighbors that don't have access to it. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining me. How uh, are you? Bonnie. I'm well. How are you? How are you? Thank you. <laughs> Good. Good. So um, I always like to start by first asking my guests, how did you get into this? How did you go from 20 years as a physical trainer to wanting to farm? And how do you even know how to farm? Yeah, well, uh, I'll answer that question. And then I'm going to come back. I'm going to tie it into some of your uh, your thoughts on uh, on mindful eating and uh, okay. you know, kind of on the same threads. But for me, and, and I still do training and health coach kind of as a, as a secondary practice now, but uh, I got to this point... Uh, 15 years in, um, I started developing my early 30s, these chronic conditions and chronic conditions in the gut, digestive, uh, on my face, these patches of uh, kind of uh, aggressive, uh, you know, red bumps and, and heat marks. And uh, um, so, I, you know, as I go through the, the, the round of doctors and trying to figure it out, um, eventually, after trying different pills and creams for, uh, you know, for a year or so, um, just started to kind of deepen that, uh, awareness and conversation around, um, maybe there's some other things that are, that are going on that I might be able to control, uh, noticing different flare ups after certain kinds of food or, um, noticing how different stress reactions were, uh, were affecting some of my conditions and, um, ended up kind of really diving into the nutrition end. um, connecting on a, on a deeper level, uh, really on a spiritual level on, um, what I was doing that, that kind of interaction with food and diet, uh, and stress and management, how, how all that had a, had a big part. And, um, once I eliminated processed foods, it took about three months, uh, for everything, all of my, all of my stuff to clear up. 
Um, really? Uh, about three months. Yeah. So uh, if I showed you the pictures, you, I know you would believe it, but, um, yeah, it is, it, it was kind of, uh, kind of hard, hard to believe. So that, uh, that was, it was a, it was a big deal. That was probably almost 10 years ago at this point and kind of just flashed the light bulbs of, um, like, wow, uh, like this kind of intimate connection between what I'm putting into my body, my interactions with food. And even that was probably the first time I started to actually really cook um, like really take my time and prepare food and do some of those things that you, you mentioned, uh, kind of referencing that article and, and some of your own suggestions on, uh, how do you create and deepen that dialogue of, of intimacy and personal connection and experience around food? Uh, what makes you feel good, how to slow down, how to, uh, how to prepare food and, and, and turn that back into a, you know, wonderful skill that you can share with yourself and friends and family. And, uh, so as I, as we went on, I ended up kind of starting to shift out of, uh, out of fitness, had a studio down in, in Westchester County, and, um, ended up selling, uh, selling the studio and was feeling out my next chapter and, uh, wanted to make the opportunity that I had um, which was, um, I was able to afford these foods. I was able to, uh, go buy cast iron pan and, um, and do all these things that, uh, may sound simple, but not everybody, not everybody has access to be able to do those things and to go buy organic food and to, uh, you know, buy the books and, uh, access the, the medical resources that I was able to. So, um, the more I reflected on it and, uh, was asking myself, how, how could I best be of service that, uh, at least making starting the conversation with healthy food access seems to be the ground or really feels to be the ground floor for me that if everybody at least has it, uh, then you can get into healthy food prep and healthy food education. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make that happen? But if it's not there for, for neighbors that need it, for people that are having a hard time, um, then you're, you, it's, you can't even get that conversation started. So, uh, that's kind of where, uh, yeah, that, that led that led into real food chair here, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to, um, you mentioned a cast iron pan and I haven't actually mentioned that in a long time. So I just want to add, add into everybody who's listening that cooking in a cast iron pan is one of the best ways that you can get iron into your body. Um, It's just remarkable. And so, you know, yes, you can eat extra green vegetables, um, but iron tablets don't really work. Your body doesn't absorb them. It makes you constipated. So iron using a cast iron pan is really the best. And you can find them very often, really cheaply at um, thrift stores. So look around in thrift stores for and the old cast iron pans are better than the new ones anyway. So anyway, (laughs) Um, but that's fascinating that just taking away um, processed food um, eliminated all of the health issues you were struggling with. Yeah. And I I got this personal crash course in uh, being really, I I use the word intimate because it was like, I would be able to kind of feel, okay, uh, refined flours or refined sugars or, uh, or the, or the oils, like which one gave me different symptoms. Uh, and so I, I'm now kind of 10 years into this path of, uh, having my fingers on the pulse of how my energy and symptoms kind of react to different foods. Uh, but as the skill sets kind of match, uh, growing my own food, culinary practices, um, you know, at first everybody's like, Oh, too bad. You can't do, you know, you can't have this, this, and this anymore. And it's like, like, well, 
like not really you eventually you don't even you don't even think about it anymore because you're you know as you once you're into year three five ten of uh, of cooking your own food and growing food it's like it's a whole different experience. It's like, uh, uh, you know, the blinders get lifted off and, you know, right. here you are, you, you know, you got this, you have a whole world in front of you that, that lights up, uh, you know, taste and flavor and nutrition and health in a, in a way that um, you never would have guessed uh, from the starting line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the thing that's so hard also is to try to find a doctor that recognizes that is a real challenge. I mean, my husband and I, all of our doctors seem to have retired at the same time. I guess COVID just inspired them all to retire. And so I'm going around trying to interview a new regular doctor just to have someone on board. Not that I go to them a lot, but, you know, my annual physical, whatever. And I want to find someone that where diet, they recognize the power of diet. And I cannot find anyone. You know, I haven't, I haven't exhausted all my options yet. But I, I, I found one that was recommended. The first appointment I could get is in June. Uh, yeah, I know. That's uh, well. That's, that's something that uh, uh, you know the that integrative medicine, that functional medicine, that part of uh, the, the MDs that are pursuing nutrition and health practices uh, in relation to health and, and recommendations. That when there's not that many of them, so you know if you, you try to you try to get out and reach one, it's you're all of a sudden you're you're six months out or a year out right. from being able to get in and see. So, or you uh, have to pay, uh, you have to pay an annual fee to be in their network, which, you know, when you're paying $12,000 a year for insurance, you don't really want to have to pay an extra fee. So I get it. Right. It's challenging. And that, and that tie, but that ties into uh, even for uh, how we're talking about for, you know, for neighbors in need that yeah, even the medical expenses and um, having access to that kind of coaching, um, you know, you, to go to the doctor, but not get any of that kind of coaching is, uh, you know, that's, that's still, it's still a real thing. It's part of the, it's part of the whole puzzle. Yes, absolutely. So how did you learn to farm? I mean, you know, that's not just something that's innate in all of us. If you grew up in, um, you know, in Westchester or wherever. Yeah, I know it. I know it. So I know, and I'm going to slightly disagree on the, that it's not innate in all of us. I actually believe that it is. Uh, You just, you just gotta, you gotta clean it off. Um, that it's in there, it's in everybody because we've, uh, that's DNA stuff. Like we, we've all done it. Our, our ancestors all did it. Um, and we're probably in this first generation of being in this, this time frame that most of us have just, it's gone. That, that skill set is now, uh, we're a generation past that skill set without having our, you know, everybody having that kind of capacity and, and practice and patience to, to know how to do it. So, I mean, I got to, um, once we moved up to Connecticut and found our home in Newtown and had a little bit of land and I was in this phase of, all right, well, what am I, what's my next project? What do I want to do here? Um, you know, I knew I wanted to, to continue to deepen that dialogue, that relationship with food and health, and uh, everything was just kind of drawing me towards um, towards growing my own food, and uh, and I, I just started. It's like anything else; you just have to start. Um, and I found a spot, uh, you know, both in my own yard and then a, a spot up the road that had an old community garden, Sticks and Stones Farm, a really cool spot here in Newtown. Um, I just uh, I went up and asked them if I could start re-establishing their community garden that had kind of gotten grown over. Um, so uh, it was just a matter of practice. It's, it's the same as any other skill. You just, you start and uh, two years, three years goes by pretty quick. Um, yeah. And you, 
You know what I mean? And you get some seasons under your belt and all of a sudden, um, guess what? Uh, you feel pretty confident growing just about anything. So uh, having a little bit of experience, but not much as a kid, uh, you know, growing, growing up with mom, planting string beans in the back and, uh, you know, having apple trees and stuff. But um, this was kind of starting fresh in terms of this seasonal appreciation and cycle of uh, learning about the soil and regenerative practices and, um, you know, how to, how to do it, what the growing season is in Connecticut and uh, thinking about sun and water and, uh, and soil and, and all these uh, elemental components. So um, yeah, it was uh, just, just get started. It was one of those kind of moments of um, it's the only way to do it. Just start. Mm -hmm. And how can you share with us, um, you know, I know when we talked earlier, you talked a lot about your desire to serve and wanting to give back. Where do you think that came from? Like what inspired that? Yeah, that was uh, kind of the that that feeling when I was thinking about, um, you know, both uh, on a pers from personal experiences over the years and, and having that food experience that I had shared in my early 30s. And um, once we moved to Connecticut and trying to feel out how, how I want to, what kind of project I want to do. Uh, I was feeling it was going to be farm related, but, um, for me that, uh, that, that food aspect in, in relation to health, um, had a, had a spiritual component, had a, you know, had a real intimate and personal, um, uh, component to it. Um, when I started kind of asking myself those questions of what kind of project I wanted to get into, um, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to share. I wanted to share that feeling, that uh, that that feeling of that deepening of awareness, uh, that practice of these uh, these ancient skills, the these ancestral skills of of cooking, of preparing, of growing, and sharing your own food. Um, that uh, I was being, I was just being drawn to share that and to and to give that away. And in a, in almost a kind of a self experiment, I wanted to see. What would happen if I just dove face first into the nonprofit world and uh, started just giving, just giving it away? I wanted to see um, what would happen in my own life, what kind of transformations would happen, and um, what kind of people I would meet, and uh, uh, what kind of experiences I would have. So, uh, yeah, I dove, I dove into, I dove into all of it, into the farming skills, into the, into the service. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of listening to that that, that inside voice of, uh, saying, let's, let's just go and do it and, um, and, and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So you started it really all at once. Um, you didn't start farming yourself as a hobby and then expand it. You kind of like start, had the, did you have the idea to start real food share at the same time that you started farming? Like, was it all at the same time or did you slow, you know, discover that community garden and just start your own little plot first and do that for a couple of years. And then yeah. how did it go? No, I mean, uh, it all happened pretty quickly at the same time. I think the very first thing was that, uh, was that kind of hard commitment to, to service. And after that, after I kind of really meshed with that, that feeling, um, made my way up the street and you know I've told this story before to you know to friends and to family but uh when my my son Luke was was little we would drive in the car to get him to nap and we would pass by sticks and stones farm and there'd be it's kind of abandoned garden kind of on the side. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go. When I, once I made that decision, I just went up there and I started talking to them and, um, and it all started to happen quick. What, what happened is, you know, I met my, met my friend Dave up there. 
who was kind of a, a caretaker for the property. And then um, Dave right away introduced me to, you know, Nancy and they're on, they're on our board of directors now. Um, and all, all of a sudden I'm sharing my idea and they're like, wow, great idea. And we just kind of one thing happened right after the next where all of a sudden we had a whole group of people at the garden. And uh, so in, in a magical kind of a way, um, kind of making that decision, that service decision was the, the first step. And then all of these things happened pretty quickly after it. Um, and so right away, and even in the first season, now we're reestablishing this garden and digging it out and planting stuff and um, bringing it down to the food pantry. And the, you know, the first year goes by quick and all of a sudden we've restored this garden. And all of a, then at the end of the first season, as we're getting our 501c3 together, we get a second garden partner in town. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm setting up a table at the farmer's market and, um, talking to the other farmers about surplus food that they have that, uh, that would, that would go to waste. And, uh, so it was kind of one of these, like it all happened at once, but you could kind of sense that, uh, right away, everything was going, uh, was going as it should. And, you know, a lot of cool things were happening, a lot of positive energy around it. Um, and, uh, it was just kind of easy to walk the path once that, once that feeling started happening. That's wonderful. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your team. Who do you, you know, who is on the team? Not only the people that grow, but I know you have interns, you have an intern training program. Um, then you have farms that you partner with that give you food as well as the farms that you grow, where you grow your food. So maybe you can just, um, share that with my listeners, um, all your, all your, stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, I, part of the, one of the, the exciting things about hopping into this, uh, this kind of a project, um, is I knew you don't meet like yourself, Ivani, there's no, they're all good people. Uh, this is the, the projects like this are just, they attract, they're high vibrational, they're, they attract good people. And isn't uh, that so true? It's so true. <laughs> it's one of the things I love about food. It just connects people yeah. in such a wonderful way. Yeah. It really, it really does. It, so it was a no brainer. So it was like, it was right away. I'm you know, surrounding myself with, uh, you know, and, and meeting people that want to get involved. And, you know, so our board of directors, Dave and Nancy and uh, uh, Kim and Lisa, and um, then our, our core volunteers that just show up and show up every week. And, you know, we love spending time together. Uh, uh, you know, it's, I mean, Carol and Terry and Kim and Jay, I mean, you know, the list goes on. There's too, there's too many to all rattle off quickly, but um, just the, you know, the heart and spirit of these people is kind of what continues to give me the, uh, the juice to just keep barreling forward and seeing, seeing what else can happen. Um, and yeah, the interns uh, first season, you know, uh, first season was kind of getting things going. And then last year, the 2020, the, the COVID year was our first year bringing in interns. And uh, we had four or five phenomenal you know, high school, college kids. Um, and we expanded it last year in 2021. And we had, uh, we had 11 or 12. Um, and this year we're, we're looking to do the same thing. And um, these are paid internships. So we fundraise for these, for these internships and want to give the, 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 the kids really an opportunity to learn these skills and start to make these personal connections that we spoke about earlier uh, with food, with farming, um, with their community, with service, and, uh, and, let, and let them kind of take it and run with it and see where it goes. Um, so, Wow. So they're really not volunteers. The, the interns are getting paid. 
But then you also do have volunteers on top of that, right? Correct. Yes, correct. Correct. So, uh, yeah, the interns being able to pay the interns was, it it was important. Um, you know, I think that, uh, for, especially for youth to kind of see a path in, uh, agriculture and in food production and in service that, um, that they can build a career around that as opposed to just having to be, you know, I just got to give my time and the most important work uh, you just give your time for and, um, and somehow not get, not get compensated for it. Um, but yeah, we wanted to, that was part of it. We wanted to get, get these kids to feel like, all right, well, how else can, can I serve in a way that I could uh, as 18 or 19 years old, 17 years old, 16, starting to think about these things? Like how, how can I make an impact? How do I, how do I get out and serve and, and, and follow these instincts? Uh, uh, you know, and, and they're drawn, you know, they were drawn to these projects. There's um, you know, right away. You could tell that they were, they were excited to be there. They all come up, show up at 6 a.m., uh, you know, five days a week and, and work the gardens, um, you know, very, very special group. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely the, the interns are, um, it's, it's one of the best parts of the project, if not the best. Mm, lovely. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about, about the food pantries that you partner with and, and the farms that you partner with? So you, you have two farms that you actually grow vegetables at with your interns, but then you also, um, it looks like you partner with other farms that give you surplus and then you go out to a network of food pantries. Can you talk a little bit about those partnerships? Yeah. So the, uh, the growth, so essentially sticks and stones in Newtown was our first partner. And then the Catherine Violet Hubbard animal sanctuary, uh, which is also in Newtown, they have and got all sorts of wonderful programs. Another another great organization here in Newtown nonprofit to to check out um, in service of animals. And so we have uh, they had a huge garden space that we kind of partnered up and we manage these beautiful big garden beds up there and we donate all the food and uh, interns up. So we got kind of two teams working at our two gardens. Um, we're looking for a third right now. Uh, then we just started close to home, so we started in at Newtown's pantry um, and just. Started started kind of making our way out to our neighbors and Newtown's kind of a neat spot because we're also kind of right in between 25 minutes each, each direction to Bridgeport and Danbury, which both have some of the highest poverty rates uh, in the state of Connecticut. So uh, a lot of food pantries and, and neighbors in need in those areas. So uh, as we started to produce more food, um, we started branching out into some other neighboring, uh, neighboring towns and food pantries and, and service organizations. Um, the, the second part, so we run the gardens and the interns. That's really our, our first program. The second program, as you mentioned, is picking up surplus from other farms in the area. So our local farms, the, the farms anywhere, a half hour drive from Newtown, uh, we've reached out and they have surplus. So if they are out all day on a, at a Saturday market and they sell 85% of it, but the last 15% doesn't get sold, um, but they're harvesting again the next day, that last 15%, uh, farmers are busy. Um, farmers are really busy during the season. So they may not have the ability or the capacity to, or a food pantry might not be open on a Saturday afternoon. So what do they do with this last kind of chunk of food that would probably just get composted? But as you and I know, we both cook, uh, that food could easily be turned into, into soups or prepared foods, or, uh, you know, even if it's still fresh enough, uh, eat raw and, and chopped 
and salads. So uh, we kind of just started really getting after it last year and hit up all the farms in our area and started making trips, picking up, going to the farms on scheduled times during the week, going to different farmers markets in the area and, and picking up surplus from the farmers and um, just pushing it out to uh, you know, all, the, all the different uh, food pantries and service organizations in the region. Uh, fundraise for a van. So we got a delivery van. We built a, a walk-in refrigeration cooler at one of our gardens. So you know, right away, we, we kind of pretty quickly put these little pieces together of, um, yeah, what a, a farm-to-pantry local food system kind of narrative is. And we're now looking at, with the farm partners that we've already established, we're looking at government programs that uh, and private funding that could allow us to pay farms directly. So pair up farms and food pantries and pay the farms cash up front for a level csa quality food and just partner them up directly with the food pantry so now all of a sudden that becomes this extra really neat piece of getting farmers capital up front uh getting food pantries regular high level quality in addition to the surplus uh in addition to the community gardens uh, so all of a sudden we're, we're trying to build out uh, this, these layers of infrastructure in our region that um, really will continue to have an impact, uh, you know, this year and, and going forward. Mm -hmm. And there's also um, tax deductions that the farms can get, no, if they donate the food to you? A hundred percent. So any, any food that's donated, we track, so we measure it, we weigh it, uh, and we'll send any farm, uh, you know, Shorts Farm that's in town or Waldingfield Farm that's up in, uh, in Washington. Uh, just a list of uh, potatoes, you know, 300 pounds, zucchini, 250 pounds, cucumbers. And so they have this kind of running list of uh, what they can work on with their accountant to get tax deductions for anything that they've donated. Mm -hmm. And do you do that for them weekly or monthly or like, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I have always heard about with nonprofits, it can be scary with all the paperwork. Right. Yeah. So we, we try to make these, you know, we've got like a tracker. So you know, Excel, you know, the Excel spreadsheet where we just share it. And every time we measure, we kind of have it going on. And then at the end of the year, we provide a, a formal receipt that, that tallies up everything. So, uh-huh. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, and one of the things that I have known from food, working with food pantries over the years that they don't have a lot of storage or refrigeration themselves. Right. So as someone who's providing fresh produce, and that's one of the reasons so many food pantries just, um, just um, distribute uh, shelf stable items and not yep. fresh produce other than maybe potatoes that don't need refrigeration. So how do you work around that? Do the food pantries that you work with have refrigeration or do you time it on a day that they're doing their distribution so that it gets out quickly to people? Cause I know you have refrigeration. How have you managed that? Yeah, uh, both. Um, so both happen. So there are, we have pantries that have refrigeration. Um, but even with it's, you know, it's hard if you're thinking about bringing in, you know, just imagine bringing in a few boxes of uh, leafy kale and uh, hard to pack that into, you know, some small refrigerators that are, you know, at a, at a typical pantry. So um, most of the time we would just coordinate the efforts with uh, the busiest times um, of the week that these pantries are operating, giving out food. Uh, and when you have enough of partners and you get enough of food going, what we what would happen is just we would 
kind of just start to match it up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, over the course of the week, um, we would almost have food going to a different pantry in our region every single day of the week. Uh, and combined from our own harvest and then um, depending on when times we would pick up from a farm partner or at the end of a different farmer's market on a different day of the week. So uh, part of that organization kind of flow happened that we just kind of got this groove once the, the season got going of, all right, we figured out who's got what, what resources need to go where and what the rhythm of, of pickup and transportation was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so what other programs do you run? Or maybe you, I know the internship is one that you said you're most proud of. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the internship program and how do people um, apply? And is there an application process? And um, do you get more applicants than you can assign internships yeah. to? How does that go? I know what we did last year, we got more applicants than, uh, than we were able to handle, which is, uh, which is great. And just, again, goes back to that point of, uh, how special this kind of a project is. These kinds of service projects are, um, it's a, uh, a universal connector, that feeling that everybody should have access to, to healthy food. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, right now, right now, the, the big things it's grant season. Um, so yeah, it's internship interview time. So we're kind of putting out all these feelers to, uh, to get the, get the next round, uh, next round of youth in. For, for the season, um, which really kind of kicks off in uh, in June once some of the college kids start getting home and then after high school finishes up and the high school crew joins us. Um, but yeah, easy to easy to apply. I mean, we have it, have it on our website. Uh, you can email me directly, sean at realfoodshare.org. Um, anybody in the area that, that, that can make it to the gardens, both the gardens are in Newtown. Um, and uh, that's, that's kind of what we're pursuing. And then, you know, the rest of it really is the off season is preparation for the gardens um, and applying for grants and funding. So uh, one of the next big projects or the additions that we're working on is we want to, we're trying to finish off this model, um, this one acre model, Bhavani, which, um, so when you think farming and when most people don't, you know, if you're not getting food, you're not going to visit farms. When you think about farms, you think, it's got to be a hundred, you know, hundred acres of, you know, wheat and corn. And, uh, but, uh, we, we've seen, and we've been to, and we've learned from, and we're, we're setting up a model that on, on less than an acre, you could, uh, you could grow tens, 10, 15, 20,000 pounds of food. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to really kind of use the two gardens that we have as, as models to, to replicate that if somebody wanted to practice, uh, getting into farming without having to go buy a farm that they could use our model as we expand these gardens across the region and hopefully across the state uh, that you could you could run a small farm and get that experience before you go make this jump uh, and a lot of times making the jump requires if you're going to try to take out a loan you need a couple years experience of uh, of farming and practice farming. Um, so one of the grants that we're looking at right now is going to, is to, to build a hydroponics greenhouse on this acre model. So we would have dedicated parts of, uh, of, of in-ground growing where we take care of the soil. Uh, and then we would have, you know, a hydroponics greenhouse that would be able to produce food year round, uh, all on an acre, um, all on a, on a spot that a manager, uh, a couple of interns, few key volunteers could run it very, very easily and, uh, and very quickly add, uh, 
10, 15, 20,000 pounds of food to the local food system. So um, that's kind of where, that's kind of where we're at. It's, uh, you know, definitely exciting where we're looking at possibly some other, other, other plots of land where uh, we're looking at how do we, how do we kind of transform this model and get this model out there for more people to uh, have an entryway into, into agriculture and farming. So. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So um, I'm sure you're aware of the different, um, the debate between hydroponic and organic and whether hydroponics considered organic. Sure. Um, what are your, what are your feelings with that? Do you, do you, you know, I, I know it is a benefit in that you can grow year round, yeah. um, but it also is not restoring the soil the same way that organic agriculture does. Um, okay. Do you talk about that with your interns and um, what's your, what's your decision-making process in that? Yeah. I mean, that, that all, that all comes up. Um, and we look at it as, uh, as, we have different tools at our at our disposal, and uh, hydroponics is uh, certainly, in, or aquaponics is is a tool in the shed of, of agriculture. Um, uh, it, no, it, it's it's different. Obviously, it's not it's not using the soil or working with the soil, um, but it, it's also uh, it also gives you, like you just said, it gives you the ability to grow year round. Um, right. So now when we're talking about uh, neighbors that might not have access to any healthy food. Um, and I'll never forget one of my, I had a, I had a mentor, Craig Floyd, who was uh, at the Denison Pesaquat Coogan Farm Nature Center up in uh, up near Mystic. Uh, I remember talking to him and he, he said the same thing. He runs a giving garden up there, a larger one. Um, and if you had somebody that was hungry uh, and it's like, well, if they were, if they didn't have any carrots, would you not would you give them a conventional carrot or not give them one just because it had, you know, maybe been grown with pesticides. And we're talking about somebody that doesn't have any food. Um, like, would that matter? Uh, and if you go down that scale, like, of course there's like a, you know, a better to best kind of a scale, which, you know, I, I believe in. Um, but if somebody doesn't have food, um, like, does it make that much of a difference? Now, in terms of environment and, and climate and in relation to soil and carbon, uh, yeah, the, the primary focus is around uh, planting the soil. You can extend the season with hoops and greenhouses and covers. And, you know, and how, how do you work with that? But then adding this kind of secondary component of, um, you know, of hydroponics that um, we'll see. Uh, you know, and hydroponics we'll, is certainly better than conventional. I mean, it, if, if you're doing hydroponics, you at least, I mean, that's why so many hydroponics get the organic certification. That's part of the problem is, you know, as a board member of NOFA, the Northeast Organic Farming Association, you know, I know the discussions a lot about the hydroponic versus the organic. And yeah. I think hydroponic can be great because it can grow year round. And it's, you know, it's certainly better than conventional. It's without pesticides and herbicides um, for the most part. Um but it should, I, you know, just should be a different label, but it's definitely better for someone who's hungry to have that than even a conventional carrot, you right. know, as someone who's also works in the school system, you know, the farm to, you know, farm to school program, you know, and someone who really believes in organic here, I am trying to increase vegetables into the school lunch program. And it's certainly not organic, right. but it's still better to get these kids eating vegetables, even if they're not organic than the processed food option that the school system normally puts out, which is all frozen processed food, which is disgusting. Right. right so right. I agree with you. I mean, you know, getting vet more fruits and vegetables into people, whether it's organic or not organic, people are not eating that is better. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. And you know, another secondary uh, kind of cool piece of that is uh, the exposure. And who knows what the next 10 years climate wise is going to hold next 20 years will hold for us. So um, having given the, the youth some exposure to, uh, you know, kind of a, a secondary piece of, of agriculture, of a possible opportunity that maybe they would want to explore. Like, who knows? Um, you know, you never know kind of where uh, where it gets. But you know, I do, I do like to, I like to, I view it as a as a piece, as a as a complementary piece um, yeah. that certainly you know certainly has its place and certainly can be uh, certainly can be used for for good. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what kind of crops are you growing? Um, I assume it's a, a ver- very diverse uh, choice of crops. Yeah, that's actually it's a good it's it's a better question than you might even realize, because every single year it's kind of uh, it's been interesting because you get feedback from the food pantries. Um, so, number one, uh, number two, you start to get a sense of what excess is from the other farms. So, for example, like we had a lot of excess uh, zucchini and cucumbers last year. Every everybody does. Everybody does. So, you know, hundreds, thousands of pounds of it. Um, so, for us, we're kind of like, well, maybe this year, maybe we won't grow those this year. So, um, we we've had these discussions around, like, all right, well, let's listen to our feedback. Let's see what we got from all these other farms, um, and what's our plan this year now? Do we want to make adjustments, and what do we want to grow more of? So, this year, uh, we do all the seasonal. Over the last three years, we've done all the Connecticut seasonal staples. But uh, this year, moving forward, we're we're going to up uh, up our onions by a bunch. Um, we planted a whole bunch of garlic in the fall. Um, we're going to up our potatoes even a little bit more. Uh, tomatoes, everybody loves the tomatoes. So, you know, plenty of tomatoes. Uh, so, you know, those kinds of things like the foods that, you know, the lettuce, we're going to do probably twice as much lettuce this season as we did last. Um, so the things that, you know, if we're, we're looking at, we get, we get corn, we get cucumbers and zucchini donated. Uh, so like, let's kind of do some of these other ones that would kind of complement that. And that are the staples that, you know, are kind of everybody loves that, uh, you know, everybody's going to love a sliced tomato in the summertime and, uh, you know, a nice fresh kind of chopped up head of lettuce for, for a salad or, um, you know, potatoes and onions and carrots are, you know, they store well and, uh, you know, you can, you can put those into pretty much everything. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, you know, we ended up, um, some new additions. We, we got a bunch of mushroom logs from a, from a new friend of ours. Who's gonna, who's coaching us up on mushrooms. So, you know, that'll, we'll throw those into your, uh, into your creamy recipe from uh, the beginning of the session. Um, we probably got, uh, about 200 logs lined up uh, at the on the side of our sticks and stones garden now. So we're expecting a bunch of those coming up. And uh, um, yeah, we're kind of you know each season the garden's cool. It's it's or, you know it's it's organic in that there's there's growth to it every year. So uh, it's kind of fun adding in adding in different pieces and um, thinking about uh, you know how the crops will change and what flowers and herbs you want to add, or, uh, you want to get some very fun. We're going to find a spot for some berry bushes at, at one of the gardens. So, um, all sorts of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the communities that you are bringing the food to, are there any culturally significant crops that they crave that you are gearing towards, you know, whether it's yucca or plant, um, you know, I don't know which ones, um, 
Hickama, you know. Yeah, Hickama. Uh, like, you know, collard greens was a big request this year. So we've got a bunch of collards going in. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we kind of, you know, we get a couple of those recommendations and then, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, some of the hot peppers and stuff we, we'll have going in again. Um, but yeah, those are, those are questions we ask. And sometimes we'll get, we'll get kind of, you know, direct feedback. And uh, sometimes we'll just get a, a response of, hey, everything, everything you guys are bringing is, is really great. And, and thank you. And, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. So, um, yeah, but those are some of the, uh, the collards are, or might be the biggest kind of shift. We're kind of getting away. I guess kale doesn't go over so hot as uh, nutritious as it is. Um, doesn't go over as hot at the, as the, uh, as some of the other items. So we're going to swap in a little more collard greens this year for, for the kale, uh, to, to the request of some of the pantries. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. do you uh, offer any recipes with the foods that you give out so uh you know we we have but uh i'm uh i'm, I'm gonna start i'm gonna start sharing some of your stuff with the uh with the food pantries i think you know part of um part of it's just come from uh from time but also you know we have we have wonderful contributors like like yourself that have stockpiles of, of recipes um yeah so it's kind of part of our Feel goal free. This year. they're all they're all up on my website you can uh, download anyone you want and share. Yeah, no, we will. And uh, so I think we're going to start doing a little bit more of that this year and, uh, and sharing. And then, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the food pantries kind of, they have their own directors and their own teams of volunteers. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all doing such a wonderful job that, um, yeah, like we, you know, we, we sometimes ask and engage, like if they would, uh, they would like, or, or if more resources would be helpful. So, um, but it's just, it's still essentially their show. So we're still kind of, you know, we're feeling out just how to, how to communicate and see what, you know, how we could best continue to serve or, um, if they're interested in recipes and things like that, uh, you know, some of them have resources already. Some some of them, um, some of them need them. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of like an ongoing kind of dynamic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing when you talked about kale, um, a funny story. I remember going out with my kids, you know, and ordering a kale salad and, you know, I embarrassed my kids cause I had to ask the waiter, do you know if they massage the kale before they put together a kale salad? Because I, we've all gotten kale salads, which really look like kale leaves big right. kale leaves on a plate <laughs> that you when you chew them you feel like a cow right <laughs> you, you know it's hard to chew it's not yeah, an hour later yeah. <laughs> right as opposed to if you chop the kale really well and then you really massage it put a little bit just a tad of oil and some salt on the kale and massage it mm-hmm. really for like a good five minutes it all it beca- almost looks like it has salad dressing on it because it becomes soft and pliable and You'll sell so you'll get rid of so much more kale if I know. people know how to do it that way. But I it's know. really it's really um, amazing how many people think kale salad is supposed to be raw pieces of kale like that, not massaged. I know um, it. I know it. You know that's such another great example. I'll come back to some of our earlier points of just that. Like that's such a wonderful example of that deepening of the practice and the relationship that uh, the first time you don't do it, but then the next time you're like, Oh, I, I just learned that I'm supposed to massage and you do it. And you're like, Whoa, you'll never have, you'll never skip that step again. And uh, right. you know, and all of a sudden now you're spending this extra five, seven minutes with some seasoning and getting your, your hands on it and, you know, doing this kind of food prep. So, you know, I, I love those examples because, uh, it's the same thing in the garden that, uh, you know, you, you, we've tried crops that, you know, have failed or didn't work or, um, and you just, you just keep with it. And all of a sudden you look back and you have all these wonderful practices that uh, really change the way your relationship 
uh, with food, your, your relationship with your own health. Um, you, know, you get to eliminate by deepening the positive practices, you eliminate the, the diet and, the, you know, some of these other kind of, you know, catchphrases that are quick fixes, but um, just really kind of appreciate that long-term approach to uh, lifestyle. Yeah, you just, yeah. just you should get in there and practice and you're going to get better. You'll look back in a couple of years for any of these things, growing food, getting into a service project, prepping your own food, eating healthy, uh, uh, you know, getting yourself more, you know, more healthy and, and vibrant. Um, yeah, you just get started and, and practice and you'll look back and, and appreciate all of it. So um, what are your plans for 2022 and expanding? Or yes. are you planning on expanding? Well, we are. I mean, uh, you know, we're hoping that uh, you know, we're, we're looking. We're, we want to round off the the garden by adding in the adding in this greenhouse and and finishing setting up this model that could be uh, that can be replicated. Um, we're investigating some other opportunities with for a possible uh, a possible third garden spot. Uh, the direct purchasing piece is a big piece this year. And uh, so hoping that continues to work its way through and into, into the fold. So being able to get farmers money up front uh, for the work that they're doing and connect them directly with food pantries is uh, would just be a really wonderful part that uh, being able to get farmers another $10,000, $15,000 up front day one um, for work that they're already doing wouldn't be too hard to add on to it uh, would be really be, a, I, I believe, is a significant piece in, um, in local food system and, and farm the pantry work. Um, and then we're looking at partnerships. Like, how do we continue to, uh, you know, we're at this point, three years old, going into our fourth season. Uh, how do we start to kind of build up, uh, you know, build up the organization and, um, and continue to kind of kind of push forward and, and create jobs and create opportunities and create, uh, just keep getting more, more healthy food to more people. So. Well, what you're doing is really awesome. Um, we're just about out of time. Can you just share with my listeners real quick, how they would uh, get in touch with you if they want to apply for an internship or make a donation to your um, farm? Yeah. Or, thanks, Bonnie. Yeah. Either, either way. I mean, of course, uh, you know, everybody knows nonprofits, we, you know, we run on, uh, run on, on funding and donations. So that would be a, of course, certainly welcome um, interviewing for interns. So anybody that's in the Newtown, middle Connecticut area and, and can make it to our gardens, um, certainly reach out. Our website is realfoodshare.org. Uh, my name's Sean Fitzpatrick. You can email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at realfoodshare.org and uh, happy to happy to always happy to talk about the project and service and uh, um, really appreciate the opportunity, Bhavani. Thank you. Of course. And um, thank you for the work you're doing because we know, we know these communities need it. And, um, and the fact that your program is so replicable and people can take it and learn from it and do it in other parts of the country. It's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. um Thank you for that. And everyone out there who's been joining us today, thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of the week and day, and I'll see you all again next week. Bye for now.